Well, hello and welcome to H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series from H2 Tech, the hydrogen technology journal from Gulf Energy Information. I'm Adrian Bloom, Editor-in-Chief of H2 Tech and your host for H2 Tech Talk today. This week, we'll be talking with Jörg Arnes, Global Lead for Low Carbon Energy Systems at DNV. Before we get started with the discussion, I'd like to remind you to share and subscribe to the H2 Tech Talk podcast for more expert discussions on technology and trends in the hydrogen sector. It's easy to do, just click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Blueberry. So um, first I would like to invite York to uh, introduce himself and talk a little bit about what he does at DNV. So York. Hi, Adrian, and thanks for uh, inviting me to have this conversation with you and looking forward to it. Uh, I'm uh, the global lead for hydrogen CCS in uh, DNV. And through that role, I oversee basically everything that we do in the areas of uh, hydrogen CCS and try to ensure that not only we are delivering what we can to the customers and helping scale the hydrogen CCS economy, but I'm ensuring that we are, are building the right type of competence that is needed in the market and ensuring that we have that with in front of the customers to support them in the best way that we can. Okay, great. Thanks for that intro. So um, one thing I want to ask you about, so there's a recently released report by DNV called Rising to the Challenge of a Hydrogen Economy. And I know that shows significant anticipated increases in revenue from and consumption of hydrogen by energy firms and end users, respectively, by 2025 and 2030. So I want to ask you, what is motivating these expected increases and what kind of value chain creation will this encourage? Yeah, thank you for that question. No, it's uh, inspiring to see sort of the momentum that hydrogen has in these days. And we did this similar survey last year and this year is sort of you seeing the sort of same trend accelerate. And what we're seeing as sort of the main drivers behind this acceleration that we're seeing is, is I guess four sort of main things. First of all, the Paris Agreement has led to an increased emphasis on net zero targets. And countries that have now pledged to net zero targets account for some 70% of global emissions. Mm -hmm. And then following from that, uh, the recognition that net zero targets cannot be met without hydrogen and CCS, at least not with significant, without significant cost increases. Then thirdly, you're seeing that drop in prices on both renewable power generation and electrolyzer technology. And this is paving the way for green hydrogen to become competitive with both blue and green hydrogen in not a too distant future. So that is creating a significant enthusiasm around that. And at the same time, we're also seeing carbon prices and price levels starting to create a business models for both blue hydrogen and blue ammonia. So it's all these things coming together that is uh, being uh, able to allow hydrogen to play a much bigger role in the energy system than it has been uh, in uh, the recent years and uh, being able or enabling the hydrogen to play uh, the role that it can have to decarbonize the energy system. Okay, interesting. So lots of different factors at play. So with respect to the carbon pricing that you just referred to, um, how can effective carbon pricing be established to help build out this hydrogen economy and, and encourage the development of, uh, for example, blue and green hydrogen projects that are low carbon? 
Yes, no, uh, carbon pricing uh, plays a particularly important role, not the least for blue hydrogen. So for blue hydrogen, you also need to compare uh, against the product that is being produced without carbon capture and storage. And carbon capture and storage has typically an abatement cost that is different from different applications. When you're looking at the uh, hydrogen production, the application of uh, CCS might add maybe 50 to $70 per ton. But if you're looking at blue ammonia or ammonia production, it could add maybe just 20 to $30 per ton. So even today, we're seeing carbon prices starting to reach levels that will create a business case for blue, both blue hydrogen and blue ammonia. And this is also making changes in the market. For green, it's a bit different because you need to consider the, also the different uh, dynamics of uh, renewables compared to baseload power. But in the total scheme of things, this is driving uh, business cases also for the uh, renewable power production. And also, I think that in uh, adjacent industries where hydrogen can be used as a way to decarbonize, such as, for instance, in the steel industry, you're seeing that both the, the combination of the fact that you have a carbon price, which in itself is not sufficient to drive, let's say, CCS or for that industry, but mm -hmm. the combination of having a carbon price and the possible, possibility of getting a premium for a low carbon steel product, for instance, is starting to create a business case for both blue and green steel. And on top of that, we're seeing then uh, uh, creating uh, the creation of a demand for industrial and hydrogen use in new sectors that are seeing, seeking to decarbonize the end use. So one of these uh, domains is the maritime market, for instance, mm -hmm. for which you need to decarbonize in order to meet the IMO targets. And there's various ways of doing that. You can choose to go through LNG, but that has a limited decarbonization potential. You could use synthetic fuels, or you can use uh, ammonia, or you can use uh, hydrogen. And each of these uh, applications comes with an abatement cost. So having increasing carbon prices will start to create a business case also for some of these end users. Okay, interesting. Um, so, you know, another question I want to ask you is about the companies that you surveyed in your report. So most of them began making investments in hydrogen within the last three to five years you found. So what do you think has caused this sea change in thinking on hydrogen after several previous false starts with the molecule? Yeah. No, it is a sea change in the in our view, at least. And uh, I think there's different, uh, totally different market today than what, what we had, let's say, in the previous years. Yes, hydrogen still had an opportunity to provide decarbonization before as well. But now the fact that you can actually produce hydrogen at uh, price competitive levels with the current production of hydrogen, and also that you're having the situation in many places of the world where you're starting to get renewable production that uh, gives an oversupply of renewable power means that you're getting into the situation where you also need to uh, be able to monetize that excess production. And mm -hmm. one way to monetize that excess production is to produce hydrogen. So in that uh, space, uh, we're, we're finding that, uh, that uh, the hydrogen is creating business models for, uh, let's say, that is very closely linked to uh, the renewable or the, uh, uh, the wave of, let's say, renewable production and the ways that that is decarbonizing society in general. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So, you know, another thing that you're, that the, uh, the study reported was that um, 
around so over 70%, around 71% of the 1100 senior energy professionals that you surveyed believe that current hydrogen ambitions tend to underestimate the practical limitations and barriers of the technology application. So what limitations and barriers do you think are being underestimated? And uh, also, will the studies being conducted now, um, such as the high blend study in the US, for example, be adequate for overcoming some of the barriers related to hydrogen use and blending in repurposed infrastructure? Thank you, Adrian. That's that's uh, two questions. So maybe I'll uh, speak to the first question first. And the first question was about uh, why or, or what uh, uh, parts of the uh, ambitions tend to underestimate the practical limitations and barriers of the uh, technology applications. Uh, so in terms of underestimation, there are significant challenges here. And I think one of the significant challenges is the development of functional market that stimulates large-scale production and offtake of hydrogen as an energy carrier. Yes, you can certainly decarbonize the industries where you're currently using gray hydrogen, such as the ammonia production of other refineries. But if you're looking to develop a large-scale production of hydrogen for other users, you don't really have an offtake today, and you need to develop that as you go along. So you need to have a market that can monetize that production as well. So that's a challenge that we have right now, and we don't really have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Another aspect, I think, is on the regulations part. Because one thing that you need to do is actually change the regulations, in particular for the infrastructure for which you will be transporting hydrogen. A lot of the regulations that you have today, for instance, has very low limits on what is possible to uh, blend in hydrogen into the infrastructure, which speaks to this second topic that you raised. Mm -hmm. So having ways to deal with the regulations in an effective manner is also a challenge. And then some of the applications that we're seeing for novel use of hydrogen, such as the heating in buildings, is something that also needs to develop public confidence. And in order to develop public confidence, you need to basically do the necessary testing and trials to support that hydrogen can be used as safely as other, uh, as natural gas is being used today. Mm -hmm. So all of these things uh, are things that uh, needs to be done, let's say in, in parallel, to be able to uh, really develop a large-scale hydrogen economy. Mm -hmm. And that may be a bit of a negative note, but on a positive note, I mean, you talked about the possibilities of taking uh, hydrogen and blending that into uh, existing infrastructure. And this is an area where we're seeing quite a significant uh, momentum. In fact, we're working together with gas infrastructure companies across the whole world and uh, providing guidance on what is needed to develop uh, or to transport hydrogen in blended form up to some 30% by volumes or even storage in subsurface uh, caverns or uh, for end use. Mm -hmm. So in this case, I think it's a lot of uh, work that is being done right now to inform the changes in regulations. And we're also seeing similar studies looking to see what kind of infrastructure needs to be able to transport 100% hydrogen and where can you actually accept a blend of hydrogen. So this is something that we have uh, confidence that will be uh, addressed in the next uh, years to come. So uh, mm -hmm. that's a positive note on that part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of speaking to uh, the first part of the question, talking about the limitations, um, just kind of a follow-on question with regard to the idea of hydrogen um, eventually becoming 
more of a globally traded commodity. Do you see there arising, um, you know, market for exports of hydrogen, or do you think it's going to be more, um, you know, hydrogen being used to produce the green ammonia, and then that is exported, such as, um, you know, the ambitions of the uh, green ammonia project at um, the uh, or uh, in the Neom uh, in Saudi Arabia, the smart city. Um, yeah. yeah. So, what's your feeling on that? As far as trade or export right no i mean it's 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 a good question and uh one of the sort of the downsides to hydrogen uh, because of its low uh, energy density by volume is that it's uh, mostly used quite close to consumption mm -hmm. uh, or mostly produced close to consumption so when you're uh, intending to transport this across long distances that comes at an additional cost a quite a significant additional cost mm -hmm. Uh, but there are certainly now several countries that are positioning themselves to be a major exporter of hydrogen. And some of those have uh, very sort of good uh, sort of characteristics that allow them to, to be a player in that space. One is Chile, where you can produce uh, electricity at a quite high, or from wind and solar at a quite low cost. So they're positioning themselves to be a producer of green hydrogen and then perhaps export that to other countries. What form that will be exported will uh, depend on uh, multiple things, including the distance, but certainly maritime transport is an option. And if you're looking at maritime transport, it's quite likely that uh, part of that uh, export will need to be done in the form of uh, ammonia or synthetic fuels or other types of carriers and not in the form of hydrogen because mm -hmm. hydrogen is a quite expensive. On the other hand, you have, for instance, uh, countries like uh, Canada and in particular Alberta, where they'd like to be in a big exporter of, uh, of blue hydrogen. And they have uh, pipeline networks that go down into the US where you can see that uh, quite a different type of business case uh, for, for them in terms of exporting that. So pipeline will be a part of the solution uh, for that. And then uh, you likely export that as hydrogen. In Europe, uh, you have neighboring countries in Morocco uh, that also would like to position themselves as a way of exporting to Europe with a much shorter distance. And uh, then the pipeline might be a good solution. Uh, from Australia, if you want to export from Australia, it's likely that, that shipping will be a solution. And again, then I think you're looking at exporting ammonia or uh, other derivatives of uh, hydrogen, uh, and then perhaps just uh, extracting hydrogen from that uh, fuel once it reaches its destination. Okay, interesting. Thanks for that insight. All right, so um, one last question for you. Do you think that we'll see more competition or synergy between hydrogen and electrification? And then uh, why and how? Well, my belief, I think, is certainly that uh, there will be more of a synergy than a competition. And I think there's different reasons for that. Uh, first of all, I think that uh, hydrogen can support the scaling of renewables without carbon emissions. I mean, in order to really reach uh, penetration of renewables that goes beyond 25 to 30% of the power demand in countries, you will have excess production. And that means that you need to find ways to monetize that excess production. And producing hydrogen can be a way to, to do that. It doesn't mean that you'll use that hydrogen to produce power, but you can use that for other purposes. So there's a, a synergy there. And then also, I think perhaps more importantly, is that hydrogen strongly supports what we call sector coupling. 
So sector coupling is a way to, for instance, uh, reuse existing gas infrastructure to support electrification and also to use uh, electrification to support decarbonizing uh, sectors that has previously been highly reliant on fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So being able to use the gas infrastructure to transport, uh, let's say, energy in the form of uh, hydrogen rather than building out or, st or strengthening the electricity grid is important. And one example there, I guess, is that in countries that are using uh, a natural gas today for heating of buildings, you typically see that there's a very big variation between the uh, gas demand in summer and winter times. Mm -hmm. And in order to sort of just build out the uh, grid infrastructure to meet that energy demand would mean that they need to, let's say, double or three times or four times the, uh, the power uh, generation capacity in that country. And rather than doing that, you can sort of use both hydrogen and electricity as uh, energy carriers and find a more optimal way of building out and decarbonizing um, the, the energy use there. So I think they will uh, play in synergy. Uh, and uh, I don't think we'll get enough of hydrogen over the next years. I don't think we'll never get enough renewables, but we'll need both of them to scale uh, them in a complementary way. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for your insights and, and thank you for the, uh, that positive note. Something to look forward to. So um, if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to share and subscribe to the H2 Tech Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts or Blueberry. And again, we'd like to thank Jorg from DNB for being our guest on H2 Tech Talk today.